This is the PR Pod, the podcast that brings you expert tips for working in PR and finding your niche. With your host, Brooke Burns. Welcome to the PR Pod, the essential podcast for emerging public relations professionals. Creative mailers are something that existed long before the COVID-19 pandemic, but they've had an even more powerful place within a PR campaign since we've not been able to host events. We need to get new products into the hands of media and influencers and make sure the deliveries, the messages and the product experience is just as impactful and engaging. Joining me for this episode is Nastasia Majanovic, PR and Talent Director at Straight Up PR, which is based in Sydney, Australia. Straight Up specialises in PR for the health, lifestyle, fitness and wellbeing industries. And Nastasia has a ton of experience in getting creative mailers right. Nastasia, welcome to the PR pod. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited because creative mailers have become a passion of mine. Even my boyfriend can tell the difference between a creative mailer and a PR send out, so I have taught him well. <laughs> well, that's an excellent place to start. What is the difference? And I guess that's another thing we should address is mm. people are listening to the podcast all over the world and there's probably different names for a creative mailer based on where you live or just what your personal preference or how you've been taught. So in your mind, what's the difference between a product drop and a creative mailer? Mm. A product drop is, that's that's what it is. So it's just being sent product in a box and you're sending it to media and influencers. A creative mailer is done in a creative way. So you want to be sparking action. You want to do something cool. You want to have, you know, ex- have that brand experience for the person as soon as they receive it. And you want to get them to do something with it and to do something fun. So the limitations of doing a product drop where you may have a beautiful box and it may have a lovely ribbon on it and there's just product inside and you might be sending it to the appropriate person. What are the limitations of going down that track? That track will actually limit you in terms of the coverage that you'll receive, which I guess at the end of the day is what you want from a PR perspective. You want that coverage. You want to have that cut through. I guess what I think about it is how much product the media and influencers receive on a daily basis, yeah. they get sent a lot. So you need to actually stand out and by doing a creative mailer versus just sending product in a box is going to help you stand out and it's going to get that cut through. So when um, you are considering sending product to media and a creative mailer is one of the tactics that you're mm-hmm. considering, what are the elements that you have to consider to work out whether a creative mailer is right for your particular campaign? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'd always recommend starting with setting an objective. So what is the purpose of your mailer or what's the purpose of the activity? Could it be an event or is it just the product being sent out? So weighing up whether it's going to be the right avenue um, and that comes down to the why. So what are you wanting to achieve and why are you sending it out? Are you wanting to spark action? Are you wanting to pose a question to the recipients as well? So what are you trying to get them to do? I'd also recommend tapping into a consumer insight as well. So a creative mailer is usually done when there's something that I've just noticed on Instagram or the team have noticed that people are doing or talking about or there's a general trend and then tapping into that then sort of allows you to create that creative mailer. When does budget come into it for you? Do you tend to have a budget in mind and then work out how to make a creative mailer concept fit or is it a case Mm -hmm. of this is the concept and this is how much it's going to cost to bring this to life. 
Oh, a bit of both. It just depends on the client that you're working with. So we generally like to set the budget up front and just be really clear with the client on these are the expectations. This is how many we'd like to send out. We don't usually like to send far and wide and hope for the best. It's usually, you know, 10 to 20 people max around the country. And, um, and then just really breaking it down so you can understand what is required for that creative mailer. How many elements are going to be included in it? What's the packaging cost, ribbon, the tissue, the printing of the little slips that are going inside, and also considering your time as well. So like how much of your team's time is actually going into the creative mailers and making sure that it's worthwhile, not just for the brand, but for the team as well. Mm. And then you've got courier costs or freight if you're sending it across a country. So yes. there's, there are a <laughs> lot of elements to, I guess, to break down when it comes to thinking about budget. Mm. You talked about how yeah. you tend to prefer a smaller campaign that might be 10 or 20 recipients mm. versus um, sending it to a lot of people. What mm. are the benefits of doing that approaches that approach versus targeting as many people as a budget may allow you to? Yeah, being more targeted is so much more impactful. So making sure that you're actually getting in touch with the media and the influences that you want to send to and making sure that they're genuinely interested in receiving it, that's always the first most important thing. There's no point sending it to people that don't know that they're receiving it. They're not actually interested in the product. They're just going to put it to the side. You want to actually get that coverage at the end of the day. So picking like 10 to 20 people that you think are just genuinely going to be interested in it, contacting them and um, yeah, posing the question like, do you want to receive this? And are you happy to share about it? And if that's like a hell yes, then tick, they're on the list. Okay, I suppose that's a really good way of thinking about it because I guess the other way is an element of surprise and something arrives on your desk that you weren't expecting. Mm-hmm. So in your opinion, I guess the ROI is is stronger if you've actually already made that connection, you've touched base, you've said this is the product, this is what's coming. They don't know how it's going to be delivered to them. They don't know what mm-hmm. that experience is mm-hmm. going to be like. But at least you can mm-hmm. kind of tick that box and go, we've got some um, indication. I mean, just like media sure. when you're pitching coverage, they can't necessarily mm-hmm. – commit to what they might be able to write so what kind of um, approval or agreements do you need Mm. from influencers influencers managers or media when you are touching base for that first time yeah so we just want them to to just say yes because we're not going to send something to them if that's not of interest I mean we have clients that um, like pig's peanut butter, for example, we, we're not just going to send peanut butter to someone. What if they're anaphylactic? What if they're allergic? It's like you've got to be, you've got to know that they're genuinely going to be interested in receiving and trying and sharing about it. And there is, you can include that surprise and delight element in your pitches, absolutely. So even just including, you know, we'd like to send you a little something or a gift from Whitaker's, which is another client of ours. So you can keep it brief and to the point. You don't have to ex- explicitly say it's going to be like a deconstructed this, this, this. It can actually just be, would like to send you a pack of this, you know, insert the brand's name. And then, yeah, do you, would you like to receive and this, is this something that you'd be interested in sharing about and just leaving it at that? Mm, okay. So when you're having a chat mm. to a client um, and you're talking about ROI, what is it that they're generally looking for? How do you ensure you and your client are on the same wavelengths in terms of the purpose mm. of the creative mail and what the ROI should be from it? Yeah. I think that's why you need to be really clear at the beginning and set expectations of what it is. At the end of the day, it you're not paying the influencer. I mean, unless you are paying the influencer, then great, you can actually guarantee that coverage. But that you know, at the end of the day, if you're not paying them, 
you can't expect all the coverage in the world. And that's why the more creative the standout is, the more impactful, the more chance of more coverage that will appear. So it's important to sort of think outside the box in that sense and to do something that will give that person that full brand emotion experience and get really excited about like, oh, yes, and then look at this, guys, and actually take their audience through that brand journey. And I think as long as all the key messages are really clear, I think the client's always really happy. What kind of action are you after from recipients? (laughs) Well, it depends on what the creative mailer is. Um, We did one. It was actually at the beginning of the pandemic last year when COVID hit and, you know, all PR strategies just went completely out the window. We're like, what are we doing? We sort of had to think on our feet. And we had a, a team discussion actually internally about one of our clients, Pig's Peanut Butter. And it was just something that we were talking about one day in the office. I'm like, oh, so do you guys put butter before your peanut butter on toast? And then some people were like, no, oh my gosh, as if you put butter. And then some people were like, yeah, definitely put butter and then it melts and it's beautiful and it tastes good. And we're like, oh, that's actually quite interesting that it sparked such a debate just even within our team. And so we wanted to do something around that, but we wanted to wait for the right time. So if we were to do it back then when we had this conversation before the pandemic hit, it wouldn't have resonated as well. So come May last year when everyone was cooking, like making sourdough at home, everyone was eating bread, no one was gluten intolerant anymore. <laughs> like, okay, this is actually the perfect time to be taught to be having the discussion of how do you enjoy your peanut butter? And that's what we wanted to we posed a question to the recipient. So when we pitched to both media and influencers, we just got in touch with them and said, so how do you enjoy your bread and peanut butter? Do you butter or do you not? And it's just such a simple concept, but the responses, it just went off. People were like, yeah, of course I do. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. This sounds great. And so what we did is we partnered with a, a brand called Got Bread. And so they pivoted during COVID as well last year and they were supplying bread to cafes, but they had all this stock left over. And so they were doing beautiful bread boxes that they were delivering to people's doors um, during that time. So we partnered with them. We partnered with Pepisea as well. So for the people that said, yes, I have butter, we got them some Pepisea in the packs. And then the media and the influencers that said, yes, they they got their packs of beautiful fresh bread, their pig's peanut butter and their butter delivered to their door that morning. And they were just so excited by it. But then even just them being like, oh my gosh, yes, this is what we got. Like, check this out. Like all this bread, this peanut butter. I'm definitely going to put, and then they started putting the butter and then they started doing polls to their audiences. Like, do you guys put peanut butter? uh, Do you put butter before your peanut butter? And then that went off. And a lot of the influencers were actually saying to us, like, we couldn't keep up with their direct messages because it was just like this whole, (laughs) we sparked this whole debate. And then Pedestrian TV actually ran it as, um, as an opinion piece. It's like, do you put butter before your peanut butter on your toast? And then that went wild on their own Facebook page and their Instagram. So it's, it's about tapping into that consumer inside of like, okay, so are we going to actually get people talking? Like that's the purpose of the creative mail is you want people to then really get immersed in the brand. You want them to do multiple stories. Like there were influencers doing like eight stories in a row, which like the value of that normally is huge. So yeah. the fact that they were doing that, they were doing follow-ups and then it makes people be like, oh, I feel like, I feel like peanut butter on toast now. So I'm going to go make it. And it just sparked that question within, you know, people's minds of, okay, I'm going to go have some peanut butter. And that's exactly what we wanted to achieve. Mm. And another thing you touched on there was the timing, which is so important, you know, just because you have an amazing idea, it doesn't mean Mm. it's the right time. So I guess it's about understanding the 
the brand, the brand arc, seasons. Do you think if you'd run that campaign at a different time, so let's say when you had first come up with that idea, it would have had as much impact? Or do you really think that um, people being at home and being in the in the headspace of, like you said, eating more bread really made a significant difference? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, the timing was everything for that particular send out. Everyone was at home as well. That's the beauty of doing creative mailers during a pandemic and lockdowns is people are at home. We know you're there. Like We're going to send it to you and you can receive it and you can enjoy it. So, yeah, I think definitely if we had done that creative mailer the year prior, it would not have resonated. People would have been in the office. People weren't, oh, I'm not eating bread today. You know, people weren't talking about it. So I think you definitely need to tap into consumer insights. What are people doing? Even calendar events are really great to think about and to keep on the radar. So like, for our client Whitakers, World Chocolate Day is always one to think about in the lead up to Christmas, any sort of gift guide sort of ones, you know, Father's Day, Mother's Day, all those are really good to keep on the radar. When it comes to collaborations with other like-minded products, I guess there might be, and certainly I've thought about this before, is it going to detract from the key brand, you know, the brand that I'm representing, you know, let's say mm-hmm. um, in this case, you know, you obviously were representing the peanut butter will it get taken over by the fact that the bread is outstanding or the butter's outstanding? How much do you have to factor your collaboration partners into mm. into it when you're thinking up a concept? Yeah, a great question because I think it comes down to their level of involvement as well. So when it comes to a creative mailer, I mean, Peaks are paying us to do that. It's our time. We're investing all of their budget into the collateral, into the deliveries, everything. So I think it's pretty clear that you know, the hero will be picks and then the bread or the, the other ingredients would, you know, be secondary to that. So I think um, it is really important to integrate it though, because I always think that that's a fun element. So when people got the pepper say, they're like, oh, this is the best butter, but that's okay because that actually still, you know, brings that positive feeling to what they receive. So as long as, yeah, I think as long as the brands align, then I don't think it's really about that. Like they're not being pinned up against each other. They should really complement each other. And that's what a collaboration is all about. Another thing, I guess, when it comes to thinking about those collaborating partners is um, I guess you don't want to overload a creative mailer with too many products. So yes, you might have Mm. your hero product and let's say it's a health product. And then just for the sake of filling up that box or that hamper or that basket Mm. or whatever it may be enclosed in, you reach out to anyone else that happens to be a health product and put Mm. it in there. Should you be looking at creative mailers in a way where it's not necessarily beneficial to have 15 different health products in there complementing yours? What's the, Mm. what's the balance between, um, having a creative mail that's got stuff that's engaging versus stuff that's just mm. crap? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a totally fair question. I would probably say like one to two brands if you're collaborating because you don't want there to be too many. You don't want to have mixed messages. You just want to – what's your real clear call to action? Um, and a creative mailer that comes to mind that we did last year was one with Lobro's Kombucha. So they wanted to celebrate their cola kombucha um flavor that they had it wasn't a new flavor so they weren't doing a launch as such um what we did is we tapped into the nostalgia of usual cola drinkers because we wanted to convert the mainstream cola drinkers rather than just a kombucha drinker and so we were like okay we need a you leverage a brand that has that household name tap into that nostalgia and actually get people talking about and trying the product 
And what we did is we worked with Ben and Jerry's. So again, like that's a household name. People got excited about that. That has that mainstream appeal. People knew what it was. So when we got in touch with media and influencers to receive it, it was, you know, we were creating the spider. So it was like the ice cream and the cola on top. And then, you know, like the very, very old school, you know, milkshake glasses and everything. So when we did the creative mailer, when we got in touch with everyone, they got really excited that it was, oh, it's cool, Ben and Jerry's. Well, when they got it, it was all about low bros. And then, yes, Ben and Jerry's was in it. So we were able to leverage the brand because it was a household name. But we really celebrated low bros cola, which was the purpose of the creative mailer. So having just one brand that you were able to sort of piggyback or like work with. And then from a Ben and Jerry's perspective, sometimes you think, oh, what's in it for the big brand? But for them, it's actually cool to work with you know, a smaller business and someone that has, you know, similar values. So Ben and Jerry's are quite big on their social responsibilities and low bros are really big on their sustainability and they didn't want to work with any other ice cream brand that use like polystyrene, for example. So you need to make sure that you're ticking all the boxes in terms of are they the right partner? Like, yes, you're picking one, but does it make sense? When it comes to uh, sending creative mailers to influencers, how mm. should your approach be... Uh, different when it comes to paid and unpaid and can you clarify Mm -hmm. the expectations that you would have of an influencer partner if they were paid versus unpaid yeah so when we do creative mailers we don't generally pay the influencers that's sort of the investment of a creative mailer so you're putting in more time and resources and you know you're paying for all the materials and the postage and the packaging all that stuff You want to make it stand out so then you can get that coverage and that sort of, that means that you don't have to pay the influencer for it. But in saying that we've only done one campaign, we've actually paid influencers to sort of coincide with the creative mailer. So yes, the creative mailers went out, we got awesome unpaid influencer coverage, but then we picked like three influencers that we then paid to support and to complement the creative mailer. So they didn't get paid to post about the creative mailer, they posted about what we wanted for the campaign so they could highlight the key messages. And then that was like a few days after the creative mailer. So that was a bit strategic in that sense where, you know, people saw it and then they'd continue to see the brand popping up a few days later across, you know, multiple channels. So when you're looking at the unpaid influencers that you want to approach, how many followers do you think is usually the limit before they start saying, "Mm, I'm happy to do that, but I'm going to have to be paid for that collaboration? Um, to be honest, I've actually never been slapped a fee <laughs> for a creative mailer concept. I've never had an influencer come back to me and say, you know, you'll have to pay for this. Some, you know, we have a really good strike rate because that's, it's, that's the point of the creative mailer. It's, you know, you want to do something that's different. You want them to actually receive and be like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I have to share about it rather than them just getting product in the box and being like, oh, cool, another hair care product and just putting it to the side. I might try that later. So you are investing in the idea and the creative concepts that will then spark them to generate the coverage. So, yeah, I've got to say I haven't I haven't been, you know, slapped a fee before, which is great. So what are you looking for in an influencer when it comes to collaborating? Obviously, each product and each client is, is different in terms of who you mm-hmm. may approach. But when you are trying to identify that 5, 10, 15 influencers mm. you will approach, what are the factors that you take into consideration? Um, to make sure that they have an engaged audience. So that is huge. Do they align with the brand's values? So making sure that they, you know, because we work a lot with clients in the health and wellness space, if 
an influencer was just posting about McDonald's the day before and our client is a health product, it doesn't make sense. So we are big on getting our stalk on, making sure that it's going to be an authentic and relevant fit. Um, Because the last thing you want is the client actually looking at their profile being like, hmm, doesn't really add up here. So making sure that, yeah, they they're going to be genuinely interested in the brand and that they have an engaged audience. And sometimes we send creative mailers to people that have 10,000 followers and they usually are the ones that go above and beyond and they do like a feed post and multiple Instagram, you know, stories, but then there are macro influencers that still do the same thing. So it's really, um, it's really just depending on how they feel about the brand and that comes down to, um, relationships as well. So making sure you completely know the influencer, I guess that's why you hire a PI agency at the end of the day, it's based on those relationships. So if I get in touch with an influencer for a creative mailer for Whitakers and they're not big chocolate people, I'm like, cool, I'm not going to send you chocolate if you're not a big chocolate fan. So making sure you understand, yeah, what do they want? Like you have to work with them at the end of the day. Like you want to get on their feed, you want to work with them and understand their brand too. What um, is the best way for assessing engagement with influencers and what kind of engagement are you looking for? (laughs) Pre-campaign. Pre-campaign? Likes and comments. Obviously, you know, the like function comes and goes as it pleases. You can have it on, you can have it off. But comments is definitely big. Um, For some influencers that we already have their insights from previous campaigns, saved on file, looking at where the audiences lie. Are they in Australia? Are they in the US? There's no point doing this huge campaign and sending them something if, yeah, their audience is in India or they're hanging out in another country. So that's really big for us is making sure that we're aligned with their, um, yeah, their demographic and making sure their audience is going to be relevant for our client. And influencers should be forthcoming in providing the information if you ask, shouldn't they, the insights? Absolutely. Yeah, because they, I mean, it's their business at the end of the day. So if they want to work with you and they want to continue to get work from you and be collaborative, then yeah, they should absolutely be open and honest about sharing those insights. And yeah, most influencers are, which is awesome. So moving on to uh, packaging. So packaging obviously is, I guess I've talked about packaging, but I guess it's really about the, the experience of receiving and unwrapping or unveiling what that product is. What factors do you need to consider when it comes to considering how that product is going to be delivered to the recipient? Um, you want it to be aesthetically pleasing and Instagrammable is what we call it. You want it to have that wow factor. But for us, it's really big to be eco-friendly because it just gives me, it actually hurts my heart when I see in- influencers tearing open these boxes and there's polystyrene, there's like big plastic packaging in it and they're like unraveling things and it's like plastic and plastic and plastic. They must not feel very nice receiving that sort of stuff either. And then even now, like with, you know, the the war and waste, that conversation that's very rife at the moment, I think um, influencers are a bit cautious about how they share because they don't want to get slammed for, you know, producing waste and everything like that. So I think being eco-friendly and choosing those sustainable options, even if it does cost a little bit more, um, with that spider send out that we did for Lobros and Um, with Ben and Jerry's last year, it took us a while to find an eco-friendly, sustainable ice pack that could go in the cooler bags that we sent in our creative mailers. But, you know, the fact that the influencers could then reuse that or they could actually drain it down the sink and then they could recycle the bit of plastic that it came in. Like, it's those little details that count at the end of the day. So I think, um, yeah, being eco-friendly and sustainable where possible, I think is really big. 
And you touched on a really good point there. It can take sometimes quite a while to source the materials, the packaging, especially if you're doing something bespoke and you might be printing a recipient's name on something or like you said, trying to find something really specific to wrap an item with. How much lead time do you think, or how much lead time do you like to have if you're sending a creative mailer out? I'd say about a month. Um, But in saying that, in a pandemic with lockdowns, everything takes a bit longer. Like office works these days, it takes ages to get things printed. And, you know, you can only click and collect. And then there are some stores that don't have enough stock. So allowing as much time as possible, I'd probably say four to six weeks is the the good amount of time. I think back on the packaging side of things as well, um, I think trying to incorporate the sensory experiences into it as well and um, in making sure the brand values, whether it's messaging mm. or is it a family brand, is it um, kind of sleek and minimalistic and how are those going to be incorporated into what materials you use or is there like a sensory uh, level that you can incorporate? Because it's all those things kind of add to the experience, don't they? Definitely. Like when, when people received that box of the fresh bread, that's what they actually said. They're like, oh, it smells so good. And just like really getting people, as you said, that sensory experience, it's that full immersion and they taste it and they were smelling the peanut butter. It's just like, that's what gets people excited. So when it comes to a person opening up their creative mailer, what, um, and again, clients and campaigns are all, all vary um, quite a lot. What kind of printed material or even digital material do you like to have from the well you, from the agency but you know representing the band within the the brand within that mm. I think it's got gone in the days of like including media releases and everything and press kits like you want to keep it as simple as possible and the perfect example is a creative mailer we sent out today actually we're just like in the thick of it at the moment with um you know not being able to do launch events we it was actually for picks again so we did a send out with for their new product which is the picks peanut butter and whitaker's chocolate so we wanted to actually educate people that because even though it has chocolate in it, it's still like a healthy treat and it's the perfect afternoon snack. So we couriered um, some packs of fresh apples. So we partnered with Candy Apples and then we did these crates, beautiful crates with just like wood wool, apples, peanut butter. We tied, um, you know, these personalized spoons to the jars. So it's like really easy. It's like two people have actually said in their um, coverage today, <laughs> like, oh, the spoon, oh, I'm going to use this spoon to scoop it up. It's like, yes. I mean, it's like, it's all about the detail, but in that pack, we just had one clear postcard size um, personalized note and it just said, do you need a pick me up? And that's all it was, including a pun is always fun. And then having a really clear call to action. So where, what store is it available from? Where can you go? Is there a QR code maybe that you're including in on the pack? So then, you know, people can just scan it and then go to the website. So I think just keeping it really simple, just one piece of collateral is all you need. And I mean, obviously you'll be following up with them anyway, or you certainly should be. Mm-hmm. So that's your opportunity to follow up with that media release or any extra information or imagery, or exactly. I guess facilitate what they need. What, um, yeah. at what time frame do you tend to kind of mark in your diary that you follow up with people? Let's say you've got, you know, deliveries going out via courier in the morning. When do you mm-hmm. think is the yeah. appropriate time to follow up? Just, I mean, A, to check that they've received them, but B, to, um, I guess, to chat through that that um, um, that delivery, um, that creative mailer and what opportunities mm-hmm. might be available from it. Yeah, I mean, generally my approach is when they receive it that day, I send them a little note. You would have spoken to them like a week or two in advance so they knew that it was coming. 
the day that you know that it's being sent out, send them a little note just, you know, so they know that it's coming. Um, you know, let us know when it's arrived safely because sometimes things don't arrive safely. So it is good to know. And then I generally just follow up the next day and see how they received it because sometimes they just post about on Instagram, like, cool, <laughs> job done. I don't need to follow you up, like generally with an influencer. But yeah, I just want to touch base with you the next day and just want to make sure everything was fine. Like, did you need any more information? See attached for X, Y, Z. So depending on if you're speaking to a media influencer, always tailoring um, what you're sending them to make sure it's relevant. Like I, I don't usually send a media release to an influencer because I doubt they would read it. It would only be from media. <laughs> like an influencer would be like, what is this? I don't need to see this. <laughs> I don't know whether this would have happened to you before, but um, and if not, if you were faced in the circumstance where you had touched base with, let's say, an influencer and a journalist and as part of a broader campaign um, in advance, mm. and they said, yes, they did want to receive the delivery and it did sound interesting or exciting to them. And then when you do go to follow up, there's radio silence you know the influencer hasn't posted anything you followed up they haven't responded to your email same with the journalist they've not done anything they've not responded to email what's your strategy then I mean following up twice I think is sort of the limit um there's so much that you can there's only so much you can control when it comes to PR I mean we only have so much say in what kind of story they're going to do we don't have control of their Instagram um, so I would say that just two follow-ups and then just leaving it. Um, and then maybe just touching base in the future when there's something else relevant or some other new product or, um, you know, new flavor in the range or whatever that might be. Um, you don't want to, you want to be nice because you want to work with them in the future. You don't want to be that pesty type of follow-up and you don't want to be blacklisted. So I think it's, um, sort of reading the room in that sense as well. It's like maybe if they're not responding to you, it's for a reason. Maybe they didn't enjoy that product. You know, everyone has their own reasons. So I think, um, yeah, just just sort of leaving it, I guess, like after that two follow-ups. And I guess, you know, because you've already touched base in advance and they did show their interest in it, you know, I think it would be fair to say in those circumstances that they are aware of the brand. They were interested in it. Like you said, it could be that they just were overcome with work and they've not had great communication skills and not had a chance to say, thank you so much. I did receive it. There's nothing I can do with it right now. Um, so in those circumstances, I, I completely agree with you. I think two follow-ups would be enough to leave it. If you haven't bothered to touch base with them first up and you're just sending them product um, without them, you mm. know, being aware of it coming, then yeah, absolutely. It could be a case they haven't received it. Mm. It could be that they're just totally disinterested or you're totally off the mark yeah. and they no, they'd no longer write beauty and now they're writing mm, you know fitness exactly. stuff so um mm. it's um it's a fine line you should be maybe thinking about how you can uh, approach it from a different angle and like you said maybe mm. there's another product coming up that gives you a chance to say in a couple of months time hey i know we touched base about mm. this one i never yeah. heard back um i wasn't quite sure whether it was this so i think being able to mm -hmm. orchestrate those opportunities to re-engage the conversation with that brand in general is yeah. is really important yeah, and in your follow-ups, keeping it brief as well. So just being like, hey, just following up, it, would this be of interest? And then just having one angle or, you know, linking it to something that they might have done recently. So, you know, I read that piece that you did about brain health. Are you interested in, you know, exploring this piece with my neuroscientist expert client? You know, like making yeah. sure that you have done your research and that you know what they, you know, you know the content that they like to produce, you know, the type of um, stuff they like to write. So being really tailored is just so important. Mm, yeah, it's just because they write about beauty um, 
they could be mm-hmm. writing about a really niche part of beauty and your product mm-hmm. really doesn't fit into that at all. So it's, you know, exactly. it's just like when you're doing something without a creative mailer, it's about doing your um, groundwork and really understanding who you're talking to and what content they might be interested in. Um, one of the things that I know would come up a lot uh, with PR consultants or PR agencies when they're talking to clients about doing these product send outs, and it's, we've touched on this a little bit, is the budget. Mm-hmm. And the reality is sometimes it takes more budget than they have set aside yeah. for, for you to be able to execute something in a way that you feel is going to be able to, to make the impact that you want. Mm-hmm. What are some of your tips, if you have them, for keeping costs down? Yeah, I mean, we work with a lot of small businesses that don't have big budgets. So I've got to say we're really good at keeping things as low as possible. And this is usually done through those brand partnerships. So when we worked with Ben and Jerry's, like they provided all the ice cream free of charge, like working with Candy Apples, they provide all the apples. And then sometimes if it is a brand collaboration, you can split the cost in terms of, you know, the deliveries and all the bits and bobs that go into the creative mailer. But Um, even just doing your research, like I know it takes longer, but finding those deals like Catch or Kosh & Co, like they have awesome, you know, those bulk bulk boxes or bulk tissue. Um, And then just keeping it in your office for future opportunities. So from Pix, like they're a retained client um, of ours that we've been working with for six years. So we have like unlimited red ribbon that we can just use whenever we need and the black tissue that we can use when required. So even just like keeping a bank of that and just buying in bulk is another great way to sort of keep costs low. And, and clients appreciate that if you're like, okay, this is how much it would generally cost, but we've done our research and we found X, Y, Z. Like, are you happy to go with these options? Or, you know, some of them, if they are limited with their budget, helping them understand, you know, if you want this, you're going to have to pay for it. (laughs) So being like, but here's an alternative with the absolute best case scenario that we can do to match your budget. So making sure that I think you can absolutely still have impactful creative mailers and doing things on a, on a budget. Yeah. It just comes back to the goals and what you want to achieve. And um, I guess reminding the client that, you know, if this is the goal that they want to Mm -hmm. achieve, you might not be able to do it if you can't incorporate, if you don't have the budget to incorporate these particular elements into it, then it's not going to have the impact. Definitely. Therefore, they yeah. may not be able to get the, you know, the social media posts or the media coverage or whatever it is they're after. Exactly. And then sometimes just having that open conversation with them, I think being transparent is so key. So if they're wanting that, you know, the 20 influencers that are going to receive the packs, but they're limited with their budget saying, hey, look, maybe we just pick our 10 influence, like our top 10 influencers that we want to work with and then sort of weighing up which ones are going to realistically post over some other ones because we've done things in the past where we've sent to really, really big influencers and they don't post, but the client's like, okay, cool. Like as long as the brand has gotten into their house, like that's fine. But if their objectives, like you were saying, if they want that coverage, then yeah, set the expectations with them. If you want that, then this is what you need to do to get that. So just having that really honest conversation with clients is so important. Mm, okay. Um, so to finish up, in terms of, I guess, a, a checklist of the costs you should consider in terms of creative mailers, packaging, obviously, you know, how is it going to be packaged um, as additional materials like tissue paper or cellophane or ribbons um what are the other things on your checklist when you're working out what the budget needs to incorporate always the first thing is the delivery costs and how you'd like it delivered so would you like it couriered are you gonna are you happy for it to go Oz post and risk you know things breaking in the process um cool couriers a lot of our clients are chilled products so making sure that um you know we sort of keep that 
in the budget absolute first. Like how would you like it presented? How do you want it landing in people's laps? Um, yeah, the other elements are just the packaging, as you said, so ribbon, tissue, and then any other elements. So we did a creative mail art last week for our client Whitaker's Chocolate. That was a bit more elaborate. So they were celebrating their 125 years of chocolate. And we wanted to, we tapped into the inside that everyone's drinking hot chocolate at the moment. And here's how you can make the ultimate hot chocolate with Whitaker's. And so that had all the bells and whistles. So that was a bit more elaborate than one that we've done with other clients where it's just like really simple. So I guess it just depends on what the creative mailer concept is and what the client is happy to allocate towards that activity. And again, what is it they want to achieve from it if they want um, some really extensive social media coverage? And it's going to have to be pretty impressive mm-hmm. when it lands in the laps of the influencers. One of the things I wanted to ask is if you are sending a creative mailer to an influencer and they have agreed to receive it, what are the regulations in Australia that you have to abide by in terms of does that influence have to disclose that they have received something or is this fall into some kind of grey area? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a grey area. I think it's becoming quite clear these days with a lot of influencers. There has been a huge crackdown in disclosing whether it was paid or gifted. New Zealand, they're stricter over there. So everything that's a gift, it's, they just have to include hashtag gift or gifted. Just the word gifted in their Instagram stories is, is all it takes. So, um, yeah, we encourage that wherever we gift product because we want to be transparent. We want um, the influencer to feel comfortable receiving it and not getting in trouble for it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today, Anastasia. I'm actually quite looking forward to putting together my next creative mailer so I can incorporate some of these tips. <laughs> my pleasure. And if you need any further tips about creative mailers, definitely hit me up. We're doing them weekly at the moment. It's a bit nuts. Yeah, absolutely. I'll have links to Anastasia's agency, uh, Straight Up PR, that she works at, um, as well as her LinkedIn in the show notes page for this episode on the website. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brooke. So good chatting. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the PR pod. For more expert tips on working in PR, head to www.theprpod.com.